Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskan. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a lovely weekend and looking forward to being with you right through the week for these two hours every afternoon. And remember, if you want to get in touch with us on the show, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And I have a little competition today. Yes, I have two tickets for the Billy Joel Songbook at the Olympia Theatre on Wednesday evening. Stay with us to find out more. But we begin today with someone I absolutely adore talking to. She's a journalist, broadcaster, writer, playwright, Irish independent columnist and a woman whose words and thoughts have shaped opinions in this country for decades as the Irish state has evolved. Her new book, The Way We Were, Catholic Ireland, since 1922... I have to tell you, it makes fascinating reading. I'm delighted to say hello again to the wonderful Mary Kenny. Hello, Mary. Hello, Jerry. What a kind, warm welcome <laughs> that is. I'm sure I don't deserve such praise. Oh, you it's do. It's really lovely to talk to you. And you too. And, and you do deserve it, for sure. May I say, uh, this book, you know, I have lived, Mary, myself, let's say, through in my lifetime. I was born in the 60s, living through the 70s when the church was dominant in this country and ruled the roost. I, I remember my late mother and father who just, you know, lived for the church and respected them so much. And I've lived through that time and up to now when things changed unbelievably for the church, especially in the 90s. And you cover all this off in your book. Can I ask you this to begin? What was your train of thought in writing this book? Was it in a way just to factually lay out from 1922 to the present? Or had you a thought in your mind, you know, it wasn't all bad? Well, I suppose, Jerry, yes, because, I mean, the 100th anniversary of the Free State mm. um, being launched in 1922, and, of course, because of the Civil War, it didn't really get going, I suppose, till 1923. And I, that's a good vantage point to kind of look at. Mm. A social history, a lot of the histories that have been published, we have some very good books coming out this year, but mainly they're about the political yes. structure, if you like. They're mainly about civil war and the political structure of the free state. And I wanted to look more on the social and the personal, if you like. Mm. And I, I sort of started off really with um, um, my mother, uh, who was born in 1902. I mean, she had... Um, this tremendous crush, really, on Liam Mellows, who was um, an anti-treaty Republican, very, very strong anti-treaty Republican. She actually, my own dear mother, had very little politics at all, really. Mm. Um, but she just thought Liam Mellows was a terribly attractive character. And he was an interesting example of a strong Republican, also a very strong socialist, very left-wing, um, who was excommunicated by the bishops in the Catholic Church because they did excommunicate the IRA at the, uh, you know, at the, during the Civil War. And nevertheless, Liam Mellows asked for a priest as he went forward to be executed uh, to the firing squad um, during the Civil War. I thought that was such an interesting example, really, of how Catholicism was very embedded in that generation from the beginning. Yes. So that even those who were actually excommunicated and 
and and um, there were many others like that, including the extraordinarily interesting Ernie O'Malley. They nevertheless they continued with their devotions all mm. the time, even when they were being denounced from the pulpit, which is an extraordinary mixture, you know, of how yes. deep it was in the people. And and you know, you start as you say at the formation of the state of the following year, and uh, a phrase Brits out the church in. No, it wasn't the case. Well, the, the the free state at the beginning had a secular constitution, yes. which of course had been guided by Michael Collins and Arthur Griffiths. And church and state were quite quite formally separated mm. in the in the original free state. Um, and indeed, the the free state did try quite hard to bring in Southern Unionists who would have been mostly Protestants or old Protestant gentry who had been sort of um, rather, of course, uh, they many of their original allegiances have been to the Crown, but nevertheless the Free State tried to emphasise that they did have a place in Ireland uh, and they were in the Senate and many of them uh, made a very good contribution to the Senate. They were often... Um, you know, they knew about uh, people like John Jensen, for example, the whiskey magnate. He would have known a lot about business and made a contribution in that way. And you had people like Lord Mayo and um, many of these old belted earls who spoke up quite well, really. Many of them also, I thought that was quite interesting, had connection with uh, things like horse racing and, and the stud industry which, of course, became very important to Irish mm. life. The Senate didn't have a huge amount of influence. It's a, just a second chamber. But nevertheless, it kind of showed that they did try to have a gesture of inclusion, what we call inclusion today, um, at the beginning. And really, the, uh, the notion of, sort of Ireland being a very strongly Catholic, had this very strong Catholic identity, only really started in the 1930s, I think. Yes, when De Valera and Fianna Fáil came to power, and you write about this extensively, but before that, there was that element of separation that people might not realise. There were so many as well, weren't there, politicians and so many families in Ireland with clergy, uh, people in the church, so it, it sure. ran right through, uh, you know, the the ruling classes. Yes, right through, and I suppose that is, I mean, one, it's quite, it's an area which is rather unexamined, I think, in Irish history, because when we talk about the influence of the church, I mean, the influence of the church was also kind of, if you'd like, people were talking to their brothers and sisters, you know, mm. as well. I mean, from Mike, Michael Collins, of course, who had a sister and nun, um, um, and uh, right up to Charlie Hawhey, Jack Lynch, they both had brothers, priests, and, you know, somebody like Mary Robinson, who after all was a pioneering feminist who campaigned for contraception um, uh, and, and many other social changes. I mean, she had two aunts who were nuns. And she wrote in her own autobiography how influential these nuns were. She thought of joining the convent, actually, for a time herself. Mm. Um, And she was, I think, argued out of it by one of her aunts. But I think there is continuity there because her aunts were missionary nuns. And, of course, that was another very powerful influence in Irish life. And I think Mary Robinson's sense of, you know, the third world and, you know, climate change and so on, our responsibilities to the poorer world, actually, you know, derives really from the influence of her aunts who are nuns. So, I mean, I think that's something that is worth even a further study, perhaps. Yes, yes. And and you mentioned T.K. Whitaker, of course, a man who spent most of his life living here in Drogheda in the northeast mm-hmm. here he was mm-hmm. educated in the CBS like myself I was just talking to somebody about your book I was an altar yeah. server in my time and I would have nothing but you know good memories of education and the church in that format and yet and yet Mary what has emerged from the 90s on is horrific it is indeed. And actually, you know, this is very, very sensitive territory because people do feel extremely hurt and wounded and uh, uh, by, you know, the the whole narratives of abuse and of uh, cruelty, really, you know, in, in homes like Letter Frack, you know. Um, and I think it's very important that all those stories should be told. And I do, you know, I do make a, a, a reference to the very many good books which cover 
these the, these areas, which which are all, all, which must also be part of our whole story. But you go, you mentioned um, Ken Whitaker, and he, I mean, he's such an interesting example. He grew he grew up in Drogheda, indeed, as he went to Christian Brothers, and I'm really praised from so much for the education they gave him. And um, he was such an example of um, a public servant who played a really important role in developing Ireland's economy in the 1950s and 60s. And at the same time, a man of absolute moral rectitude and, and goodness. He too had a sister. I think, strictly speaking, a half-sister. But he had a half-sister of none. Mm. And he once said in one interview that one of the things that guided him simply was conscience, his Christian conscience. And he said, um, you know, if I did something wrong, my conscience would start squawking, which, you know, made such an impression on me. You know, I think going back to the whole, uh, uh, the, the, the sort of abuse and certainly the things like the mother and baby homes and so on, what does really emerge, and a lot of people make this point on social media, Ireland aspired to be a classless society, but it wasn't really, unfortunately. It was quite strongly divided between, if you like, the sort of people who considered themselves middle class or respectable classes and people who really were much more marginalised. And I think growing up in Dublin myself in Sandy Mount, which is Dublin for, although we weren't well off, my mother was widowed quite young. Uh, nevertheless, um, I suppose it was a kind of uh, middle class uh, 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 background. And, uh, you know, our lives really didn't touch um uh, anything about abuse or yes. cruelty mm. or, or, or single mothers even. It didn't touch them. Again, Mary Robinson also makes that point about growing up in Sligo, how religious they were, how they loved the, their religious faith, how her nanny, who looked after her because her parents were doctors, she was an incredibly de- devout woman. Um, and yet they knew nothing of this other side of, of a, a darker Ireland. Mm. And you also refer to uh, its part and the part the church uh, played in Ireland during the time of the penal laws, the rising, uh, you know, the breaking away from, from Britain as well. And and when you think, Mary, of the education, I've alluded to it there myself, you mentioned T.K. Whitaker, the, the education, the hospitals, uh, the looking after of orphan children. And I, I can hear the voices of religious out there saying, you know, there were an awful lot of good people in the church too. Oh, my gosh, there were, really, you know. And when I think of somebody like, I mean, uh, Father Michael Sweetman, you know, uh, who uh, uh, was a wonderful uh, priest I knew slightly in Dublin when I was growing up, who who, who gave his life for, um, really, the D- Dublin homeless, but also campaigned, by the way, to save the sort of architectural heritage of of Dublin and stood on a platform next to the leader of the Communist Party in Ireland. Mm. You know, they were very, very inclusive and and tolerant as well. Um, And there were lots of good people like that. And I suppose, as you say, um, you know, in 1929 uh, came the anniversary of the uh, Catholic emancipation, you know, and that was marked in Ireland. And of course, that did focus very much on Daniel O'Connell and what he had done to emancipate Catholics. And also, it should be added, he also fought against slavery in the United States. And he also led a campaign for the emancipation of Jews in England because Jews couldn't vote either at that time. And so he was really a very good man of uh, 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 who had made such a contribution to Irish and international life. And, and there was, in 1929, a sort of awakening of that, um, you know, heritage. And it was all, there was also an awakening of how, how so many of the establishment figures at Westminster in England were against Catholic emancipation. I mean, it was shocking, mm. the number, including most of the Church of England bishops were against Catholic emancipation. And many, all the royal family, all the top, uh, the you know, the sort of top elite of, of British society were against giving Catholics 
equal votes. And Antonio Fraser has written a marvellous book about this called The King and the Catholics. And that was very much on the agenda in 1929 when the feelings were awakened about... um, how Irish Catholics had really suffered and been, you know, discriminated against and so on. And that mm-hmm. was also, again, another theme which emerged in the Eucharistic Congress in 1932. And I might say also for uh, Catholics in Northern Ireland, uh, this was also these centenaries and anniversaries were very meaningful because Catholics in Northern Ireland felt awfully, you know, much the discrimination that they suffered uh, in the six counties. And they felt such a sense of pride that the Irish state was marking their identity. You know, mm. uh, there's a wonderful man called James Deeney. He was, he was, he, beca- he he came to, he was a doctor in Northern Ireland and he came to, to Dublin because he couldn't get the proper job in Northern Ireland and he became the chief medical officer for the state and incidentally he was warning in the 1940s about infants dying, infant mortality from gastroenteritis in institutions and elsewhere but he said it was just such a, an uplift for Ulster, for Catholics from Northern Ireland to feel there was a state which was standing by them, you know so I suppose we have to factor all these perspectives in, yes. you know and how people felt at the time how our parents and grandparents would have felt at the time and uh, you know you touch on aspects which are so interesting too we were pariahs internationally and our only friend really was the Vatican State and so much uh, more besides I just wonder just before we finish Mary you know 2022 100 years will there be anything to write about by the next Mary Kenny in 100 years time in relation to this can you speculate well, there'd be plenty to write about, Jerry, because there always is. You yes. know, life goes on and continues to be extremely yeah. interesting. What about in the many, church? Many you know, the Catholic about church. The church. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it's it, you know, predictions are always mm. very dodgy um, because uh, you know the famous saying by the British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan. He said the things that change are not actually policies or ideas often, but events. It's events. Some event comes along yes. and sort of changes changes uh, uh, everything. Yes. I mean, I do think, um, uh, you know, the title of the book, The Way We Were, is a little bit corny, but it does try to say what, try to tell the way we were and the way we've developed mm. and, and so on. And, and so there will be, a, 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 there will be in the future, somebody else yes. telling the way we were. But um, I, on the, there's always a spirituality. There's always a need for spirituality. Mm. There's always a pursuit of the sacred. It's something that's in us and that we need. And I, it sort of amuses me to see the way, I mean, it's very nice to see the way young people who say they're more secular often. Nevertheless, they're sort of inventing the wheel sometimes, you know, and and saying, well, let's have meditation classes, you know, so that we know how to meditate. Let's have an hour a week for meditation. Well, you can have meditation for an hour a week simply by going to the church on Sunday. Mm. And, you know, and there's a lot of, even even in little things, I suppose, like fasting, which we had a lot of when we were young. I mean, when we were children back in the 50s and 60s, where you you had to have this Friday fast. You didn't eat meat on a Friday. Well, I mean, people like Paul McCartney are now saying, you should have one day a week when you don't eat meat, <laughs> you know. And uh, people, and health gurus like Michael Mosley, who's very followed yes. in Britain, says uh, yes. the best way that you can diet is having a period of fasting because it's really good for your health <laughs> and your mental health. So, in fact, sometimes a lot of these traditions were actually based on... Yes human experience and the things that we need Mm. so they will come back in different ways but of course human beings are very fallible we make mistakes we err we fall all the time and I suppose it's always a question of trying to correct the mistakes and start up picking ourselves up and starting all over again Absolutely, Mary. Well, listen, uh, I want to congratulate you on the book. Recommend it highly. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mary Kenny, The Way We Were, Catholic Ireland since 1922. Thank you so much again for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. No need to remind you of the difficulty facing people uh, with regard to a roof over their heads. 
getting on the property ladder. It is a nightmare at the moment. And I just noticed myself, I'm sure you do wherever you live, the signs go up for sale within hours, days now. It's sale agreed and sold appears and away it moves. And, you know, if you're somebody trying to get your foot on for the first time, the price as well, higher than uh, Celtic Tiger levels, it is now. My next guest may have an option that can help you in a cost-effective manner begin out or start out as a, with regard to owning a place of your own. I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon to Bernie Moore from GTL. Hello, Bernie. Hi, how are you going? I'm going really well. You're from Dundalk, but that accent tells me you were away from home for a while, Bernie. I was, yes. I've sort of been away in Australia and New Zealand for about 27 years, but um, Dundalk um, schools and, yeah, back now a few years, so... And Mr. James O'Kane is with you as well. And together you set up this business called GTL. Tell our listeners, just give us a, 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 what would you say, a summary of what this is, what it's about and why it's so attractive. Yeah, well, so, uh, GTL stands for Green TARDIS Living. Um, so green, it's sustainable and the TARDIS that looks bigger on the outside, inside than it does on the outside. Um, it is basically uh, we uh, repurpose shipping containers to long-term living accommodation. So um, look at one bedrooms, two bedrooms, and for the latter part of the year now, we're building three-bedroom homes. And is it fair to say that you set out with sort of a view in your mind, well, we might shift a few of these in a year. I'm not wrong in saying demand is brisk. Yes, um, we we thought maybe two to three a year. um, And I suppose we started the business in October last year and uh, interest and orders have um, gone through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so t- I love the pun, and it is true. It's through the roof for sure. So we're talking about former shipping containers, and, and have you access to a ready supply of them? Yeah, we do. There's, there are good suppliers in Ireland, and they call us, and um, the, the price fluctuates uh, depending on demand. So we have a good relationship now with a couple of suppliers and they phone us when um, the rate is favourable to us and we normally buy half a dozen at a time. And what are you talking about for a one-bedroom container home? And I must say, fully fitted as well. Yeah, so it just starts at just under um, 60,000 and it is fully fitted, furnished, finished. So you can stay in at the night we, we leave your premises. That is the fantastic thing that I love about this. It arrives on site and you're ready to go. So would this be something that people are considering, let's say they have room around their existing uh, house in a back garden or something like that for another family member, a child, or are people actually putting them on, uh, standalone on a site? Um, most are going on existing properties. Um, it's just easier with planning. The one and two bedrooms are under 40 square metres and if you attach it to an existing house that hasn't already been extended. So people are looking at it for ageing parents, um, for adult children who can't get on the housing ladder, and for people who've separated for a variety of reasons. So mm. usually on existing properties at the moment. Do you need planning? Um, for the, the smaller ones, the one and two bedrooms, they are under 40 square metres. Um, so we, we advise people to go and look at their planning. Planning laws differ all over Ireland. So if it's 40 or less, you don't, you're saying to me? Well, in theory, you don't. If you're extending it to an existing house um, that hasn't already been extended, there are conditions. If you, you need to have the footprint of the garden at more than 25 square metres. So in theory, the one and two bedrooms, um, you don't need planning. And I, I take it that if you put it on a site where there's an existing house, it's a lot easier because you have access to electricity, uh, sewage, water, etc.? Yes, it is. You can um, also get your own. So some mm. of our customers have got their own water and electricity okay. um, and putting in their own sewage systems. But yeah, if you've got access to them existing, it's easy to plug into existing services. So let's take the one bedroom, for example. So you have the bedroom. What else is contained within the container? Yeah, so the bedroom we, we fit in, it's a fitted. Because it's a container, you're constrained by the width. It's about 2.1 metres. So we build in um, a king-size bed. It's a hydraulic lift-up bed, so there's quite a bit of storage underneath. Um, You also get a wardrobe, and then there's a fitted bathroom, um, shower, utilities. So we have washing machine and a floor-to-ceiling or almost ceiling cupboards, 
um, a sink unit, and, and a fo- everything's full-size. So full-size washing machine. You come into the sitting room, there's another double sofa bed, um, TVs included. There's a breakfast bar that can seat four people. Um, and then all of the appliances, so a hob, full-sized oven, microwave, um, integrated full fridge freezer, and all of the cabinetry included. Well, you know something, you picked the name brilliantly because I'm looking at it here and I'm thinking Doctor Who and the TARDIS, to be honest with you. Because when you look at the outside and then I'm looking at the inside snaps as well, it's amazing what you can uh, get in there, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. It does look, it it looks, you know, it may not look appealing to everyone on the outside either, but when you go inside, it feels like a home. It feels much larger. Mm. And when you combine two together, so to make it, a larger living area it certainly looks um, much bigger than it does on the outside. Oh yeah, two would certainly uh, offer you uh, uh, a much more extensive uh, living living space for sure. Can I ask you about, you know, they are steel containers living in a box, I'm sure you, it could be your theme song. What about, you know, insulation wise and retention of heat and all this type of thing that everybody's talking about now? Yeah, we they're insulated. Um, so the the ceilings are in, they're all spray foam insulation, and um, to start with, to um, eliminate any content condensation that you'd get with um, core ten steel. And then we have like a fiberglass type on the ceiling, and then the core Kingspan and the PIR boards. So there's about just over three hundred mil of like over a foot of insulation in the ceiling. And um, there's Kingspan on the walls and on the floor. And we have regular central heating in. So it's mm. gas central heating um, throughout the house. So it's very well insulated. The windows are triple glazed. Um, it's, it's very warm. Yeah. And I'm looking at it as well. They're on stilts. Is that the way they go in always? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, we just try and reduce the carbon footprint. Footprint. So we're looking at sustainability. We use, and actually all our customers to date have chosen um, screw pile um, foundations. So they're pretty much uh, screws that look between a meter and 2.5 meters long, and they are screwed into the ground with a mechanical auger. We we partner with the company Screw Pile Foundations Ireland, um, and they go in about a week before delivery and prepare the site so you can take them out later on you can move your house literally mm. if you want to and then there's no footprints once they're gone you, you can't see any footprints it's not like a big concrete foundation um, you know where it's, it's there permanently I love that that you can take your house with you I know, it's quite a good idea if you Isn't say you're it? moving house, you're literally moving house. <laughs> Move the whole thing from one place to the other. There are so many uh, plus points with this, may I say, Bernie. I'm I'm at loss to, you know, to find anything on the downside, really. And I take it from your order book, and when people see these practically, I'm sure word the mouth can be a big seller, can it, for you too? Yeah, well, we were very lucky, and it is a little bit alternative for Ireland. Um, We were very lucky with advertising um, last year, like people like yourselves supporting us. Um, And I suppose when people come and see it, um, it's different to a caravan or mobile home, which people may have in their minds. Mm. So when you come in and see it and feel it, if people are looking for a house, um, we we get a good turnaround on orders fairly quickly after viewing. What about the external appearance and look and colour? Is that, uh, you know, custom uh, customised for customers if they want it? Yeah, well, yeah, it can be. Um, most people have gone for um, the outside. We do sort of, it's a green-black mix. Yeah. It's... Um, it's anti-corrosive paint. Um, a couple of customers are cladding, um, so they do that themselves. So we provide the, the raw product and any add-ons like cladding, adding in a roof to make it fit into a village or environment, um, customers can um, prepare that themselves. Yeah, And it's not obtrusive. I'm sure you've heard this. And actually, I'm looking at it here. It can blend in nicely and be situated, you know, as, as far as possible where people would like them to be, that they fit in with the surrounding area. Yeah, they do. Most green areas, they fit in quite well. Um, they look like an industrial shed from mm. the distance. Mm. Um, so they're not obtrusive. Um, they do have a lot of glass, but it's um, tinted glass, so you don't get that glare that you'd get. If you look on the mountain, sometimes you'll see a glare from glass. You don't get that with um, tinted glass. And yeah, they blend in quite easily. So we're putting them in, those customers are putting them in areas where they blend in easily. They're not um, a blot on the landscape. I can feel a grand design coming on here. 
Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> There's publicity for you now if you got that oh, one no. with, with Kevin got... and the crew. Exactly. We like more the living big in a tiny house. He's a New Zealand guy, so he has a great following on yes. YouTube. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you mentioned New Zealand where you spend a lot of your of your life. Um, is this a, a regular feature there? Is this something that's been there a number of years? You mentioned new to Ireland, really? Yeah, it, it has. So in, in New Zealand, I suppose they've catered with the planning laws that you can have a property under 30 square metres and the one bedroom is exactly just under 30 square metres. Um, they also, I suppose, encourage sleep outs and they're called arrangements where you can have additional sleeping for family members, you know, for shorter mm. long-term living. Um, it's just alternative. Like Ireland's probably used to traditional houses with a roof and windows on the, the, the you know, on the mm. front of a road. Um, this is an alternative and more affordable. Mm. And it gives an option to people where, you know, I, I don't have to remind you, you hear it every day, I'm sure you're in the front line there. It's just becoming nearly impossible, isn't it, to get on the property ladder or, you know, yeah. get a place to live? Uh, it is. Well, I suppose building materials have gone up um, with Brexit and what's happening across the world. Um, a lot of a lot of the materials are increasing. So we've been lucky um, with our orders and our order book for the next 12 months. And we're able to negotiate lower prices with our suppliers. We live close to the border, so we favour getting a lot of our materials from the north. Um, so, and yeah, we've good, I suppose, a good mix of family um, uh, trade people that um, help us. So, mm. and we are very fortunate. Have you spent a night in them yourself? Did you test drive them, so to speak? Yeah, we did, actually. <laughs> yeah, so um, they are very comfortable. Um, you know, on the hot days, the last few weeks, I'm in one at the moment, so I use it as my home office during the day, one of the show homes. Mm. And any on the hot days, it was lovely. Well, we're lucky we've got a nice breeze, but it kept quite, quite cool inside because of the insulation. Um, but yeah, they are, they're, they're novel. I've got nieces and nephews and they come around regularly, so um, they, they think it's good as well. Living in a box, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as uh, the famous song uh, rolls out. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's different. I have to say it's different. It caught my attention. I wanted to talk to you about it and, and just highlight it for uh, listeners today who may be out there tearing their hair out. And here is possibly something that could be the solution to your difficulty. Your website, gtl. Um, it's gtlcontainerhomes.com. Um, Dot com. So GTL, yeah, our, yeah container yeah, our homes. Biggest, yeah, our biggest um, social media is Instagram, though. So okay. that's where we put up um, all of our photos, all of the customer deliveries. Um, so we're, we're on Instagram every day. So again, that's GTL, container homes. There you go. Check them out. Have a look at them. They're fascinating. They look great and they do what they say on the tin. Sorry, I had to get that one in somewhere. It's not tin, it's metal, folks. Anyway, Bernie, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks very much for your time, Terry. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Bernie Moore there and it's called Green TARDIS Living. I love the name TARDIS in there. Of course, now Doctor Who fan myself. I have convinced myself that Rory McIlroy listens to Late Lunch. I have absolutely convinced myself, especially after the weekend. Because if you remember on Friday, myself and Louise were nattering about the toilet roll the centre of the toilet roll, the little cardboard holders. And I was telling you that Cushel have announced they're not going to make them anymore. They're going to be no centre part of the toilet tissue at all. It's going to be all paper and you're going to gain, they say, from it. And I mentioned on late lunch on Friday, because we got a message in from Angela to say her husband uses them. This is another amusing use for the centre of the uh, toilet roll, the little cardboard centre, to practice his putting. So he puts them there on the ground and he puts the ball and I was just saying, Rory McElroy needs toilet holders. And guess what? Shane Orr going to tell you, he won last night in America. And he put it like a dream. You see, he does listen to late lunch, Rory McElroy. There's no doubt about it. After the show on Friday, he went to the putting green with his toilet roll holder. And he put it for Ireland into the toilet rolls. And look what happened. He was six shots behind Scotty Scheffler going into the weekend or the tournament uh, the way it works there they all get a, their scores apportioned anyway he was six behind going into the final round and he just went ballistic and Rory won for the third time the, the uh, Tour Championship last night I think he just won 18 million that's all 
just 18 million that's all he won the power of the toilet roll holder Rory Rory we've cracked it haven't we Michael Bannon his coach was listening as well I know Michael too Michael was listening he had, one of them were tuned in and they said this is it Mr McElroy let's get the centre from the toilet rolls put them down 18 million later ah just shows you just shows you my god almighty you think you're just here talking to yourself and McElroy and Bannon and the crew are all listening in and Rory puts like magic and he wins all the money there you go anyway <clears throat> I've just woken up <laughs> I'm claiming it anyway. You know me. I'm claiming it. And I want to say a big hello today. In case I forget, I met him last evening. Uh, I was up at the Drogheda game and I, I bumped into him. And he's a huge listener of Late Lunch. And I know he's in his digger working at the moment. He tells me when he's in the digger, he has the old headset on and he never misses me every day. Pat Dice. Hello, Pat. Lovely to meet you again yesterday. Thanks for the kind words. And I know you're tuned in today. And keep on rocking, Pat. Keep on doing what you're doing brilliantly. Lovely to meet you again yesterday. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. We're heading to a break and afterwards. Yes, he said goodbye. What will his players do? Sean Ennis and Monica McGurk from the Mead Ladies are joining me. I think it's fair to say we were perhaps all caught on the hop, or were we, with the announcement over the weekend that Eamon Murray was standing down as manager of Mead Ladies. Oh my word, what an era it's been for the county. When you just think of all they've won uh, an intermediate All-Ireland two senior All-Irelands and National Football League titles in Divisions 3, 2 and 1 unprecedented and from where it all began as well incredible to say the least I'm joined on Late Lunch today by two young women who know him more than most Monica McGurk is with me and team captain Shauna Ennis hello ladies Hi, Jerry. Welcome to the show. Well, Sean, I'll start with yourself as captain of the group. Did you expect this or did it come as a bit of a shock to yourself as well? Um, yeah, I suppose, look, um, we knew maybe it was 50-50 with a good few members of our management team leaving. and We knew that there was going to be a bit of change. So um, while we, we may have thought that he, he might have left, it was still, still a shock when, when we heard it, for sure. You were with him. Uh, are you with him right from the start of the journey yourself, Shauna? Yeah, I would have been. Um, Eamon actually would have managed me even under 16. So mm. I know Eamon a long time. Um, I suppose when he came in and took over um, in 2017, um, it was, you know, him who called me up. I had taken a year out the previous year. He called me up and, and asked me to consider coming back in and and I did, so I've personally a lot to be thankful for, for Eamon picking up that phone as well. Were you captain from the ward, go with him? No, um, Nevo Sullivan would have been captain for the first two years, and then Moira O'Shaughnessy for the second two years, and then myself for Yourself. the last two years. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So uh, he placed a lot of trust and faith in you, obviously, as his team captain. And, you know, you, you mentioned that year out, and things were at a pretty low ebb when he came in. Yeah, look, um, Mead football was really absolutely in dire straits and we've talked about it before, you know, just how, just how bad it was. We were sort of sitting at the bottom of Division 3 and didn't look like we were going to go anywhere. So himself coming in and then bringing in the fantastic management team that he brought in, in with him really turned everything around for us. And in essence... What did he do? Now, I know he had great talent at his disposal as well, and that's all come to the fore, and you can't win anything without the players. But if you were to sum him up, what would you say about him? What did he bring to the party in particular? Um, look, I suppose Eamon is a very, very just likeable man, and he has a great way with people. And I think that was key um, at the start, especially when people maybe weren't in the best of form. Um, you know, he he was all about bringing the fun back into football when when we weren't enjoying it at all. So he was just really keen that we would enjoy ourselves when we we're playing football and we would wear like the meat jersey with pride. And I think that definitely then started rubbing off on myself and the other girls. Isn't that just something else to hear that in sport today, where it's you know yourself. I don't have to remind you, Sean. It's very serious at times, and people, you know, take it very to heart the whole thing. But you'd say that that the fun aspect was really what ran through the team and ultimately carried it to all this success. 
Yeah, definitely. I think Eamon would have always encouraged us to play with a smile on our face, you know. Um, he always wanted us to enjoy it. He said, if you're not enjoying it, you know, there's no point being here. No one's getting paid to do this. So, yeah, I think that, that element was huge. Monica McGurk, welcome to Late Lunch. Lovely to talk to you two today. Tell us your story with Eamon. When did you join uh, this success? Um, yeah, I suppose I came a little bit later um, after Sean. I know when Eamon started there in 2017, um, he was there a full year and uh, getting the management team and everything set up. And then it was in the middle of the league, uh, Division 3 League 2018, uh, I think the girls had played about two two games and Eamon had, gave me a call and he basically the conversation was a five-minute conversation, you know, kind of echoing what Shauna said there in terms of, you know, getting the girls in and he wanted me in for two weeks and he said, just give me two weeks and uh, see how it goes and if you don't enjoy it, um, then you can walk away and thankfully I never did and that, I was just beginning of 2018, yeah, I think the girls had played about one or two league games and then I came in then on about the third or the fourth, so Beginning of 2018, I started my journey with the girls then. Now, fun is one element of it, but come on, you can let us in on a little bit more, Monica. What was it like behind the scenes? If it wasn't going your way, which, you know, at times you were a remarkable and are a remarkable team for t- turning things round. Did he ever come the heavyweights? Would he ever, you know what I mean, give us a bit of jip in the dressing room? Oh, no, I suppose Eamon wouldn't. Kind of his um, his personality and his uh, demeanour wouldn't be like that at all. I suppose he's very calm, kind of collected kind of guy. I suppose, um, you know, I, I never, I personally never got to play with Eamon underage, uh, with minor or anything like that. So I suppose when I heard Eamon took over the, the role in 2017 and I got the call from him, I was only too delighted to come in and play under him because I knew he was the type of manager that, you know, got players in, once got players wanting to play for Mead Ladies and like Shauna was saying but put a bit of pride on in wearing the Mead Ladies jersey so you know he was very he's a very calm collected kind of guy he's the guy that you know got all players back in got the panel up to 38 players and um, he made those phone calls to try and get those players back in so I suppose he had a fantastic management team surrounding him in terms of you know keeping us together and you know um uh, pulling us together when things weren't going right and, you know, making uh, those conversations to try and keep us going in each game when we were losing because obviously we, we'd we lost in league Division League uh, final, we'd lost uh, in two intermediate All-Ireland finals and I suppose Eamon just stayed calm throughout the whole thing and I suppose just to echo what the, the fantastic management team that we had there, um, you know, was the ones that were kind of pulling us together and um, keeping us keeping us going. They say you have to lose uh, first to understand how to win. And, and certainly, as you mentioned there, it wasn't all success all the way in, in the early stages. When did you personally, Monica, and I'm going to ask this Shauna, uh, to Sean in a moment as well, when did you sense the the turn, you know, that, that the success just followed on from? What Can you pinpoint a match or a time or a year? Um, I suppose you could probably pinpoint a few kind of situations, you know, uh, over the course of the last five years. There was a couple of turning points, but I suppose for me personally, I think um, if I had to pick one out, it would have been um, the Tipperary All-Ireland Final, the Intermediate All-Ireland Final mm. uh, for the second year after playing Tyrone. Um, I suppose we went into that that game, you know, um, with such drive and determination that we thought we might have won it, but obviously it didn't go our way. And I, I remember standing on that pitch afterwards and going into the change room after the game and looking around all the players who were all so upset and devastated, but we knew what was in this group. We knew what kind of talent we had. We knew that we could go on and do special things. And I think that game was a definitely a turning point for a lot of players because I think it got to the stage where like, okay, we're, we've done enough losing here now. We kind of regrouped and uh, set our goals then for the year after. And then ultimately that led on to our first intermediate All-Ireland final the following year. So I suppose that's something that would stick out in my memory. I know obviously we lost, but I suppose, like you said, you have to lose games mm. in order to learn from our mistakes and drive on. And thankfully we did. Isn't that interesting? Stay there, Monica. Don't go anywhere. Shauna's with us as well. What about you, Shauna? Would it be that moment, as Monica describes there, something maybe different for you? Yeah, look, I think Monica's right. I think that that, that all, our intermediate All-Ireland against Tipperary was huge for us. Um, and I think earlier that year, maybe even winning the Division 3 title, it was pretty, um, pretty much our first taste of success, you know, and and we won that division three and, and we thought we were we thought we were brilliant. We thought we were on top of the world. 
But um, that was the first, you know, that was sort of the first real taste of success for us. So um, I think winning that Division 3 and then following that losing to Tipperary in the, in the final in 2019 that year, the following year, 2020, was where we really, really started to be successful. And I think a lot of the reason there was actually because of COVID. And during that, that off-season of 2020, we put in a serious shift and a serious amount of hard work by ourselves um, and it made a huge difference then we came back for that season so we never raised the voice Shauna no no that wouldn't be um, that wouldn't be Eamon's manner at all he, he wouldn't he wouldn't shout at us you know he um, didn't really believe in that sort of thing he just treated us you know very very well like like as he always says he treated us like we we're his own kids Mm, leave that stuff to Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen. <laughs> Don't bring it into the into the dressing room for sure. Exactly, exactly. But you but you know when you, you what you achieved the, the enormity of it. I think it's still lost in some people to come up from intermediate. Yes, win the All Ireland, but to debut in senior and then go on and win the title. That belief, you know, he he must have something magical there to to make you all believe that you could actually do that. Yeah, I think Eamon, as I said, is a really positive person and he definitely he definitely likes to um give you lots of compliments and, and, and tell you that how how great of a player you are. So um that's always lovely to hear and yeah, like going up from winning the intermediate to the All Ireland the following year was, was pretty much unheard of and it was obviously a huge, huge shock to everyone. But as I said we went in with absolutely no pressure on ourselves that year in 2021. You know, Eamon didn't put any pressure on us. No one put any pressure on us. And uh, again, he, he was all about enjoying ourselves and enjoying playing at the highest level. Monica, he's gone. He's made his decision now at this stage. And Mead face into a new campaign with a new man or woman perhaps at the helm as well and changes in the background. And some of your players have travelled to other parts of the world. How are you feeling about that? Oh, look, obviously, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're sad to see them go and we're thankful for everything they're after putting in for the last six years. But I suppose, yeah, next year it's, it's going to look very different. It's not going to be same management team, same squad, nothing. It's going to be very different. And I suppose it's a new challenge now again for, for me, ladies football, I suppose. Um, I suppose one sense we're excited. Um, we have a panel there of 38 players that, you know, have been in with that panel for the last three or four years and now it's time obviously with the changeover with people gone and different things that happened that those players that maybe weren't getting as much game time over the last two or three years that now hopefully they'll be able to step in and fill those positions and then hopefully be able to add to the team again and I suppose you know we're coming back off the, the two All-Ireland wins in a row that I'm sure there's players out there in, in Mead football at the moment that are only kind of uh, trying to get onto the Mead panel and uh, obviously hopefully we'll be able to extend that uh, come uh, pre-season time but I suppose yeah it's it's definitely going to be different it's going to be a change but I suppose it's um, it, it's a good change you know it's something different it's going to be new voices you know new kind of style and you know um, obviously you know we'll be looking forward to it and we'll see what the year brings Life brings changes all the time. The cycles go round, people move on, and you're so right. It is a new beginning. Sean, I'm just thinking Ferguson, Wenger, Cody, Gavin, and now this man, Murray. In the same vein as all those great names, a wonderful manager. You'll miss him, Shauna. Oh, of course we'll miss him. Like, as Monica said, this year is going to bring a lot of changes. and Definitely going to take a while to get used to aiming aiming not being there, you know, at every training to, to have a quiet word with you and to encourage you on. And, and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but I have no doubt in the next few months, like we're going to have lots of occasions to honour him and to meet up with him. And I'm sure um, he won't be a stranger. And Monica, for you, your, your a few words about him before we finish. Yeah, I suppose like I'm, I'm I, if there was one man I'd like to thank is, down to my footballing career would be Eamon Murray I, I suppose I'm grateful forever him ringing me in 2018 I suppose you know I'm two or three All-Ireland medals in my back pocket and if he hadn't made that phone call ultimately I wouldn't have you know got all that success we have so yeah like Shauna said he's been um, he's been the life and soul of Mead ladies and he's a, he's a credit to the county and uh, we'll all miss him and obviously we just want to thank him very much for all the five years that he's put in with me ladies and then obviously with the underage as well he's put in yeah I suppose Eamon's been around the county a long long time it's not just in the last five or six years so 
Um, yeah, look, uh, on behalf of the, the team, we'd just like to say thanks very much, Eamon, for everything. And may we say in LMFM, thank you to you ladies and all of the squad and the panel and the backroom team and Eamon Murray in particular for all the joy and pleasure you've brought to us and our listeners on the airwaves here with this incredible run. It is the end of one era. One door closes, but a new one will open. And today we acknowledge Eamon Murray and his genius in what he did for football in County Meath. Sean Ennis, Captain and Monica McGurk, I thank you both for joining me on the show today. Thanks very much. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Thanks, ladies. Uh, two wonderful women there, an integral part of the Mead success story. Go ahead with your own life. Billy Joel, my life. You only get one opportunity. There's no second run. Make the most of it. Anyway, that's the answer I was looking for. For the pair of tickets to the Billy Joel songbook uh, happening at the Olympia Theatre in Dublin this Wednesday evening. And those pair of tickets go to Joan Ballantyne. Well done to you, Joan. We'll be in touch. I have the pair of tickets here in my hand, but we'll make the arrangement and get you there. And I'm sure you're going to have a fantastic night. 1978, going back to there, the album 52nd Street. And uh, the single was released late in the year and went to number three on the US adult contemporary chart uh, number three on the Billboard 100 the big chart in the States 12 in the UK it was great album that I think I have all of his albums and a few greatest hits ones as well and I've seen him several times and he's just fantastic and I hope to God I'll get to see him again at some stage and talking about seeing something I was up at the cup match yesterday Drogheda United and Shamrock Rose God the little ground was rocking uh, yesterday evening and what a performance by Drogheda I just want to acknowledge it you know, they're in the Premier Division of the league. There's only, I think, two part-time outfits themselves in Finn Harps. Their budget's tiny compared to the millionaires of Shamrock Rovers. But you know something? Yesterday, and Rovers had the chances early on for sure, but Drogheda were just a credit to the jersey and the town. That team, I've watched them a few times lately. And you know what? They give it 110%. Every man for the other. And you just have to credit uh, the manager and the backroom team, they are just fantastic to go and watch. Every game, they go up against the big boys and by God, did they give it a go. They were so unlucky yesterday. I thought they deserved penalties out of the game anyway, but there you go. That's the cup for you. Kick of a ball is often the difference uh, and they're out. A draw, they wouldn't have wanted, to be honest with you. A great occasion and great crowd, but uh, as for going on in the cup, they'd have preferred somebody else, I'm sure, to move along. But there's next week and next year and that's the whole thing about sport isn't it it really is but well done to Kevin Doherty and his charges they're a credit to the club and the town they really really are round about this time on late lunch every day of the week this happens the late lunch artist of the week artist of the week with a career that's in its seventh decade, 13 number one songs, 28 top tens and 36 top 20 hits. My Artist of the Week has sold, listen to this, in excess of 85 million records, as well as producing and arranging songs for other artists, musicals and movies. He's one of the giants of the music industry. He was born Barry Allen Pincus on the 17th of June 1943 and it is of course Mr Barry Manilow. He's a son of Brooklyn, New York, born to a Jewish mother and Irish-American father. In fact, Manilow's roots can be traced back to Limerick here in Ireland. He studied at the New York College of Music, studied musical theatre as well and worked at CBS, the TV network, as a student. He became a jingle writer for big TV ads and he caught the attention in the early 70s of Bette Midler, who chose him to produce her first two albums and work with her extensively in those early 70 years. 70s years, should I say. He released the first of his 31 studio albums in 1973, which was quickly certified gold. And Barry Manilow, of course, was on his way to megastardom. Today, let's begin our week of Manilow with this lively number from the 80s. A million seller and top ten hit in the USA. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl with yellow feathers in her hair. 
Barry Manilow Lively start of the week with my artist of the week Copacabana I'd get you up and dance around the place wouldn't it this lovely lovely late August weather it's beautiful and be good to be good for the uh, days ahead more from Barry Manilow round about this time on late lunch tomorrow final break on this Monday afternoon and afterwards I'm joined by Garrett Shine he's Louth County Council Veterinary Officer and he's going to uh, tell us about a seizure of uh, dogs they've made in the county in recent days and he has advice for you if you are intending on buying a puppy. Garrett Shine is Louth County Council Veterinary Officer and he joins me on the line. Afternoon Garrett. Garrett I have you there. Thanks very much for joining us on the show. Tell us about this seizure that happened in recent days please. Yeah, it was just uh, it was a premises where the warden discovered uh, a lot of dogs, um, and um, it was it, it did represent uh, an unapproved dog breeding establishment. So, good news that uh, you picked up on it. Was it was it from a tip off, or how did it come about? Um, yeah, it was basically on information received. Good stuff. So, eighteen dogs there, various breeds, and illegal, Garrett. Well, the, the, the premises wasn't registered with Lyle County Council, okay. as it should have been. And even if it was, the facilities weren't up to scratch, so they would have had to make two major improvements to achieve the, the approved status. And, and that's an important message to get out to anybody listening today. If you're breeding puppies, you must have that approval, and it must be approved by the local authority. Well, there, there is a trigger point. It's if you have um, more than five female dogs on your premises, you must be registered with the authority, okay. whether you're breeding or not, actually. Oh. But um, having said that, even if people are breeding and it's less than, than, than five dogs, there is a guideline that specifies all the standards that should be in place. And I would recommend anybody downloading that guide and making sure their standards are up to that level. For somebody looking to buy a dog online, what advice have you for them? Well, probably don't buy it online. Probably the <laughs> first the starting point. Well, there you are. Bye, bye, Gareth. No, no, no. <laughs> Go on. Uh, but um, do all your checks. Basically, you know, it's the golden rule. Don't meet somebody in a car park or something like that. You know, insist on seeing where the puppy has come from or where the dog has come from. You know, and do all your homework and make sure it's come from an acceptable place. A pup needs to be a minimum of how many weeks before actually, you know, somebody should sell a pup? Ah, well, it has to be at least over eight weeks and ideally, you know, anything from eight to 12 weeks old probably is the the general range. Microchipping should be done? Yeah, all dogs over the age of eight weeks by law have to be microchipped. So that's another very good check. You know, make sure the dog is properly microchipped and it's registered to the, the owner and to the new owner. And that can be checked. There's a database for the chipping there, and you can check that yourself and satisfy yourself. Um, it is, yeah. Mm. And if anyone's in doubt, they could always ring us or ring the dog wardens. You know, we'd be only wardens would be only too happy to give people a steer. You know, the pound uh, always have uh, a number of dogs in the pound that are unfortunately given up for one reason or another. Um, it's worth checking that out first, isn't it, before you go searching for a dog? Because there's some beautiful animals available there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, over the years, um, we've had some exceptional dogs come through. Um, so that is, we have it on our website. So Lyle County Council's website has a dedicated page for the dog pound and it'll show at any given time exactly what dogs we have in with photographs and descriptions. So that's a good site to, to, to monitor and check. Do you suspect when you mention the number of uh, female dogs at five or that, do you, expect there, do, do you suspect there are others out there operating outside the rules of five or more than five that are, are not registered, or even be- five or mm. below who have uh, puppies who are not doing uh, this properly? What do, you, what do you think about that in general? Uh, there, there must be. I mean, I mean we, we, we always come across unregistered places each year, so um, absolutely they are out there. And we'll always act on any information received. And the 18 puppies that you seized recently, the good news is you've uh, made sure that everything has now fallen into line and they've been checked over, uh, microchipped, etc. Yeah, they've all been checked over and assessed at the pound, vaccinated, microchipped. And we're in the process now of 
sort of getting some rehabilitation to them. So they will probably go off to a specialist rescue centre first. Mm. So they can be brought round. Some of them are just not fit for immediate rehoming, again, because of the circumstances. Uh, dogs have to be socialised at a very early age. So if they haven't been properly socialised as a pup, then there's a bit of work needed to get them back on track, so to speak. Mm. The uh, the whole trade in it is, is worrying and concerning. And again, if there's no market for them, if there are no buyers, and I think we go back to the very <laughs> short answer you gave me there, don't buy online. That's really the message, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, people, even actually, even if people... Uh, for those people who would say less than five female dogs who don't have to be registered with us, there is another uh, piece of legislation. Anyone selling six or more pets per year must register with the Department of Agriculture. So there's another site you can check, especially if you see somebody advertising dogs for sale, check that they're on the, 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 the register with the Department of Agriculture for sale of pet animals. So there you are. There's another cat. There's another net, so to speak. There, safety there net. And that, that, yeah, and that, that one will anyone selling six or more animals per year. So that will catch even the very very small breeder. It just makes sure that they're on at least a register that they're bona fide. That people know where they are. Great advice. And if you're suspicious of anything, you can always contact the local authority. Absolutely. Just just call us in and we'll always act properly on on you and be glad to receive any information. Gareth, thank you for joining me today on the show. You're welcome. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. That's Bye. Gareth Chine there, Loud County Council Veterinary Officer. Avoid any of the hooky or shady or doubtful um, sites or online or contacts that you're made with that as well. Go to a legitimate and proper breeder or the pound is the message. And we like to push that out there as much as we can because if you or I don't buy from those sources, then there is no market for it. That's almost a lot in late lunch this afternoon. Coming up tomorrow on the show, I'm joined by a long COVID survivor and she has some story to tell. I promise you that. Top of the show tomorrow afternoon. And nurses required. Are you out there, nurses? Are you looking for a job? Are you looking for a change? Yes, Fiona Murphy from the Bonds, of course. She's the head of nursing will be joining us too. We'll have your two on Tuesday and more besides. I want to say a big thank you for Liz- to uh, Lizzie Doran for guiding me safely during the last couple of hours. Thanks a million. And we're going to leave you ahead of Eddie Caffrey on the drive. He's coming your way. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. It's in the company of Mr. George Ezra and Green Green Grass. There's loads of it tomorrow from 1.30 on Late Lunch. Do join us. Undercover, undercover. She said green, green grass, blue, blue sky. You better throw a party on the day that I die. Green, green grass, blue, blue sky. You better throw a party on the day that I die. FM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660 4237. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.